Say your prayers, little one. Don't forget my son to include everyone. Tuck you in, warm within, keep you free from sin till the Sandman he comes. That was uh, was the Richard Cheese cover of Enter Sandman. Very good. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> that means we're back, bitches. Hello. It's Vertigo Voices. We have returned. For better or for worse, here we are. It's probably for the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Colby. I'm Sophia. And uh, yeah, it's Vertigo Voices. Uh, you know, it's fucking Sandman time, so it's time to talk about Sandman and... Listen to Richard Cheese sing about Sandman. Absolutely. Yeah. We we are back for a very, very good reason. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what? It's been seven, eight, nine months. Has it? <laughs> I don't know. Our last one was in December. Oh, yeah. Been- so, yeah, it's been a while. It has. And, yeah, I, I uh, you know, Sandman's out on Netflix now. We talked about it ad nauseum, and now it's here, and uh, it's doing pretty well. It's number one in, I think, 90 countries right now, which is big. It's got, I can't remember, Gaiman released the viewing, like how many hours it had been viewed, and it was an astronomical number, (laughs) but uh, in only the first week. I I don't remember what it was. But um, there's still no announcement on the season two, though, (laughs) because it's fucking Netflix. Yeah, let's, (laughs) that will come up in this discussion. (laughs) Um, so beforehand, I I guess let's do news like we used to do news. Do tell. I mean, there's been a a ton of (laughs) DC Comics movie related news just in the last week. It's like old news now. Like the whole HBO Max, HBO Discovery, um, just slashing and burning properties. The fact that a Batgirl movie was basically finished and then, uh, shelved. Yeah. I don't know what the word is. Cancelled, I guess. Same with that animated Scoob movie. There was a, you know, the last year there was a movie called Scoob. It was oh. a Scooby-Doo movie. Yeah. There was a sequel that was also just as done as Batgirl was. Um, and then got scrapped. And the creators were like, I saw just the other day on Twitter, the creators were like, we already paid studio time and musicians to do the, to do the score. But then it got cancelled. And he was like, fuck it, we're doing it anyway. <laughs> so uh, they went in and recorded the soundtrack for a movie that's never going to get released. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, strange, strange decisions. Yeah, just terrible. I, every decision that they make is worse and weirder. And I'm like, well, who the fuck, what, what are you doing? Yesterday it was announced, uh, so what, back in, back in March, The Batman came out and did really well. Made like $770 million um, in a... COVID world, that's a really goddamn good box office. Then, what, uh, a few months ago at CinemaCon, they announced a sequel. That the Batman 2 is in development, it's going to star Robert Pattinson again, and they got Matt Reeves back to direct. 
Well, then yesterday, HBO was like, well, or not HBO, Warner Brothers Discovery was like, well, actually, that's not officially greenlit anymore. We're, we're going to walk that back a little bit. Um, if it does happen, it's at least a few years out. <laughs> Why? Why? Why would you, like, yeah. Exactly. Like, who knows? <laughs> that movie made them a shit ton of money. Yeah, and it's their only, like, you know, like, I guess other than Suicide Squad, it's their only, like, critically loved movie lately. Right. Um, it's certainly the most appreciated take on Batman in quite a while, since, like, the Nolan trilogy. So I don't know what the fuck is going on with them, but uh, from what I've heard, the guy that's making all these decisions, I can't remember his name, he used to be the head over at Discovery, and I've heard that he was just a piece of shit there. So <laughs> he's a piece of shit here. You can always expect pieces of shits to be pieces of shits. They do. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm, this is not a happy validation for you, but you called it before everyone else, Ezra Miller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of pieces of shit, yep. <laughs> just great, eh? Uh, that's another thing they were talking about, uh, what to do with The Flash now, because it just keeps getting pushed back. It's been pushed back, I think, like five times now. And then with everything with everything with Miller, like, well, fuck, now what do we do? Uh, because Warner Brothers has just been very content to be like, like we're just not going to address this and maybe it'll go away. Yeah. Uh, well, now it was revealed that they've got like a three-pronged strategy of like, number one, just shelve it. <laughs> the problem with that is that it won't be a tax write-off like Supergirl or like Batgirl was. Because Batgirl, all, all the money, like, so Batgirl cost $90 million. All that money was spent before Warner Brothers Discovery was a thing. So they look at it as like, well, who fucking cares? It wasn't our money. Oh, um, yeah. So we can, like, all those movies that got canceled, it was, that's why. Um, and they're just going to use it as a tax write-off. But The Flash is far enough in the future, and there's still filming going on. They, uh, the studio's plan is either A, uh, shelve it, B, release it as is and just hope that, that everything's fine in the future, or I think it was C, release it and then recast, like, immediately after. Because Miller plays at least two versions of The Flash in the movie. So if they were to recast that actor, they would literally have to replace, like, two or three whole roles, which yeah. is not... Or, and even even if, like, digital face technology, like, that's just not feasible. So they're kind of fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, that's what happens when you put your faith behind a terrible person. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, again, um, uh, kind of continuing to shoot themselves in the foot on several occasions. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other... Speaking of other terrible things, <laughs> um, have you heard all the fallout of the Snyder Cut? And, I have uh, not. I think it was Variety did a story about the fact that most of the rhetoric behind the couple last few years of Snyder, release the Snyder Cut all stems from a PR firm that was hired by Zack Snyder in 2016 to help with the fallout of Batman vs Superman. And, like, there's no, like, official money trail tying him to that firm with the release of Snyder Cut. But, I mean, come on. <laughs> and uh, up to, I, th- I think it was up to 13% of all discussions of that movie on Twitter or social media in general were tied to bot accounts. Which is, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a huge number when we're talking about bots, 13%. Oh, sure. yeah. And, you know, one of those influences a thousand people. <laughs> and that... 
So, yeah, it was just all bullshit. Um, they also interviewed, I think, one of the directors who had a Warner Brothers movie out at that time. I can't remember who it was, who, you know, Snyder fans were fucking review bombing other Warner, Brother, other Warner Brothers properties, like, to try to get Warner Brothers to listen to them or whatever. I, it's just a terrible strategy. But this director was like, hey, Zach, uh, like, could you maybe tell your fans not to fucking do this? Like, I'm trying to make a movie that's completely unconnected to you. Could you please ask them to, like, not talk shit about me? <laughs> and Snyder was like, hey, man, I keep control. I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. <laughs> like, that was... <laughs> ah, good job. <laughs> man. That steak just gets juicier and juicier. Yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, I feel like I was on the right side of history on both of those issues, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I feel content. <laughs> <laughs> Time has confirmed. <laughs> Do you have any news? Oh, no, like I said, I get all my pop culture news from yeah. you. <laughs> uh, well, we'll move on to Colby Has Issues, because oh. guess what's back? Fucking fables. Nice. Yeah, after that Batman and Bigby uh, miniseries, now fables is back proper. And it even retained the same numbering as the original series. Oh, cool. So it started with 151. There's been three issues out so far now. I think the fourth one comes out this week. I don't know. But it's uh, it's only a 12-part miniseries. Depending on how well it sells, I'm sure there'll be more. Because apparently you can't kill fables. <laughs> Not at all. Do you like it? Uh, I haven't read it yet. Because... Uh, I didn't finish regular fables. Like I, oh. I don't own that whole series yet, uh, and I, and then I would need to read Batman and Bigby. <laughs> Still a work in progress. Yeah. Okay. Uh, although I have been after you know Sandman, I've been reading uh, the Dreaming series from Vertigo in the '90s, which is like the spinoff. That's been my current go-to. Actually, I've been reading a fucking lot lately. It's been very hot, so I don't want to go outside. <laughs> and for two weeks, I didn't have internet because my internet provider was the worst in the world. Um, so I don't have them anymore. <laughs> but for a while, I so I've, I was reading like fucking crazy. I read a lot of miniseries and books from the 90s and novels and shit. I'm almost done with uh, Pierre Bull's Planet of the Apes novel from 1963. <laughs> oh, I read... Uh, Bullet Train, too, over the summer. How was it? It was good. The The book was fun, and I saw the movie last week. The movie follows the book really closely for, like, the first three quarters, and then the finale is, like, this huge, bombastic, cinematic explosions and shit, and it makes so much sense that they change it for the movie, because <laughs> the book ends with, like, oh, well, guess I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, just characters going their separate ways, and, like, some of the some of the big, like, climax or, or comeuppance are, like, implied but not shown. So I remember reading the book and being like, you can't do that in a movie. No. <laughs> but the movie just makes it way bigger and crazier. And I, I liked the movie a lot. Um, and I, but I really liked the book. Very good sense of character in both. Good adaptation. Yeah, exactly. See them. Yeah, very good adaptation. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of movies. We just were talking about that. Seen a lot of movies and read a lot lately. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a boring, hot summer. <laughs> so I retreat to my cool bedroom with books and movies and shit. Sounds like an ideal summer to me. I guess. I, I don't know. I like being social sometimes. But it's hard when you feel like you're going to melt when you go outside. True. <laughs> because this has been very hot. It for Spokane, especially for Spokane. Like, I don't know. I'm not used to 105 degree days. 
No thanks. Yeah. There's a reason I don't live in Arizona. <laughs> I, I take that back. There's lots of reasons I don't live in Arizona. <laughs> being one of them. But yeah, people, I was just going to say, people move from Arizona to get away from that shit. Yeah. Look at all fucking Californians living here now. <laughs> Brought it with them. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, for those who don't know, Spokane is like a haven for California yuppies now. And I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentrification. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, let's let's dive into Sandman. Yes. Um, it's been a long goddamn road to get here. It's been a long road to get here just since you and I have been recording. You know, back in 2020 when this was announced, not, not announced, when it was cast and started filming, we thought for sure that it was going to be released in 2021. We did. And then I remember Fandome 2021 hit, and they were like, no, it's going to be 2022. It's like, God damn it! <laughs> and it wasn't until, like, what, May of this year that a release date was even announced? Right, right. Like, because it's Netflix, so they fucking wait to the last second to tell you when you're going to get to watch it. <laughs> I, obviously, you and I have both been monitoring this closely for a while, I was actually just re-listening to our casting episodes where we talked about uh, every, every time a new cast member was announced, we would discuss it. And uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting to go back and see how we got to where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine some, uh, some predictions <laughs> yeah. did not come to bear. <laughs> yeah, I, but, you know. I, I remember, so one of the things I remember uh, when they announced that Jenna Coleman was playing Joanna Constantine and Gaiman was like, yeah, we're just like, we're, he didn't say she's just, she's playing her descendant. <laughs> she's playing old Constantine and then present day. He uh, said something like, yeah, fucking, we're going to like uh, bring her into the present day or something like that. So it's like, is that like time travel? What is he talking about? But no, it's just John Constantine, but as a woman, <laughs> like that's, that's it. <laughs> yep. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, as it turns exactly. Out. Um, and so, like, going into this, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of expectation and a lot of interest from myself. But shortly before it came out, when the last trailer hit, maybe it was the first full trailer, I don't remember. I remember texting you about it and being like, I don't know how I feel about this now. Like, I've been so excited. And then once I saw that first trailer, and it was just, it was just a fucking show. <laughs> like, it was a trailer that made it look like any other adult fantasy story ever and I was just like fuck it looks so normal like that's <laughs> I don't like that it looks normal like this property has been living in my head for 30 years as a mythic crazy poetic uh you know like free-flowing dream basically <laughs> and to see that with just fucking actors and sets <laughs> like that I was really like god damn it <laughs> Well, it's a lot of expectation to live Exactly. Up. And I was happy, I'm happy to report that once I watched it, like once I started watching it, it didn't take long for me to get totally sucked into it. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed this overall. I don't know if we should go through episodes or actors or... Yeah, let's start with first impressions. Okay. First, so yeah, the first episode, Sleep of the Just, pretty direct adaptation of the comic. Um... The only, like, major plot difference that I noticed was that the Corinthian was, like, already out and about. Right. And then it was Dream. Dream was trying to catch him, which is why he was on Earth. Whereas in the comics, you never really find out where he was until Sandman Overture came out, like, ten years ago. 
It's very complicated. Yeah, it's yeah. time travel and fucking father time and mother universe or whatever. <laughs> and the fact that that he's kills an old god or whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, this is, that was that was like smooth. And I the Corinthian is threaded into the story much more than he was initially. Yes. Initially, he doesn't show up at all till Doll's house. But in this, he's he's in it early and often. And I thought that was a really good idea because uh, that let his menace kind of seep in a little more than it did in the original comic. Right, yeah. I thought that was great. Um, that, And then you see significantly more of Jessamy, his original raven. In the comics, Jessamy doesn't show up until like a flashback in, I don't know, issue 25 or something. Yeah. And she's only mentioned maybe once. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it's just the uh, the Matthew show after that. <laughs> um, so it was cool to see Jessamy and that connection that he has with his ravens. And then to see Jessamy actually get killed on screen. I felt that was very important for the uh, establishing, I don't know, the, uh, the, the link he has with the Dreaming and his little companions and whatnot. That was that was a really good idea to me. <laughs> they did a good job of um, obviously because in the comic book, you know, you can have dreams character arc. You can you can take your time. Like yeah. it doesn't matter if he doesn't change throughout the course of say like twenty eight stories. Yeah. Um, I thought they did a good job of balancing um, who he is in the comic, that aloofness, mm-hmm. with actual progression. Yeah. Yeah, and personality. I I did I, I would. You know, full disclosure, I would watch Charles Dance do anything, um, but I really appreciated what they did with uh, Roderick Burgess. Um, like giving him a dead son, is that what you're talking about? Well, he's more cartoony in the comic book, and that's not a bad thing. Um, he has a little bit more complexity in this, but he's still a raging asshole. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, the fact that, well, I don't know. The fact that they, I can't, I can't tell if this is a positive or a negative. Because the fact that they gave him, like, a dead son, which is his driving force for controlling death. Like, he wants to bring his dead son back. And he has that resentment with his other kid, who's still alive, Alex. Who, like, I can't tell if that softening of him, like, that giving him a altruistic reason for capturing death. I can't tell if that makes him more interesting, or if it just, like, I don't know, I kind of just like the asshole. Like, I'm just a greedy dude who wants to live forever. So often we want our bad guys to have like shades of gray mm-hmm. and like sympathetic or look at Marvel movies. Like <laughs> it gets to the point where the bad guys are more heroic than heroes sometimes. Right. Like, right. well, I understand why Thanos wanted to do that. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Killmonger in mm. Black Panther. Like, I mean, he's kind of right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so like I see that so often now that like, just fucking, like, look at the world, man. Just let him let him be a selfish asshole. Like, we, <laughs> we've got selfish assholes on every goddamn block nowadays trying to take over the world. So right. yes. why not? But at the same time, character-wise, I think it probably does make more sense to give him that, like, hint of humanity. <laughs> well, admittedly, they could have maybe mined it a little bit better. Um, and I kind of felt like it was mostly there to set up uh, Alex. Yeah who I felt was more of a, I guess, a moral coward in the show. Yeah. In the comic, I always felt like he was he was kind of an innocent. Right. Because he just gets dragged into this thing that, like, just because his fucking dad is a, is wants to be Aleister Crowley. So, right. yeah. uh, like, all right, dad, sure. <laughs> uh, 
and he, and he gets saddled with keeping this immortal being that he really doesn't have any interest in. Um, whereas in the show, because in the show, he kills his dad. Right. And which in the comic, he just dies of old age. Um, so that immediately makes him more... Active. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Makes him more active in, uh, in his role as jailer to Dream. And that makes Dream's revenge on him more justified. Yes. In the comic, I always loved how that revenge is really not, doesn't fit his crime at all. (laughs) And they changed the dream in the, or they changed the revenge in the movie just slightly in the show. Did you notice that? Because in the the comic, he curses him with eternal waking, which means he's constantly having nightmares and waking up only to realize he's in a new nightmare. That's right. And in the, or fuck, I keep saying movie. (laughs) In the show, he says eternal slumber or sleep or something. So it's just like he's always asleep. <laughs> and they don't they don't show any of the nightmares that he's experiencing or whatever. It's implied that it's basically the same thing, but just that little shift in wording was noticeable to me. True. Yeah, good point. We didn't get to see anybody's head fall off, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a shame. Well, did we? I don't know. I can't remember. Did somebody lose a head later? <laughs> Probably. There may have been a head or two lost. Um, one of the things... so. With the shifting timeline of the show, since it's set in present day, not 1989, the ages don't make any fucking sense anymore. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about that, because I was like, did I miss something? Like, this is there's, happening during World War I? Yeah, there's a throwaway line that Burgess has early on, where he talks about the power of the endless, and he says something about, like, they'll make us and our families, or they'll give us and our families, like, eternal youth or something like that, or long-lived or something. So there's like a, there is like a little hint there, but like like Ethel, uh, what's her name? Uh, Julie Julie Richardson's character yeah. stays, you know, in her fifties or whatever for a hundred years <laughs> or however long it is. But then like her son is like in his sixties, but he was still born in like 1912 <laughs> or something, right. whatever whatever that time that was, like 1916 or something. Yeah. So like so wait, so he ages still, but not. But faster than her, but still not as fast as regular. Like I don't, <laughs> don't think about it too much. <laughs> Apparently, it was, it was very confusing, and yeah. I feel like that that's kind of an issue with casting because we talked about this when we went through casting first. Is that David Thewlis is I think two years older than Jolie Richardson, mm-hmm. and she's playing his mom, and like maybe maybe get somebody older for Ethel or get somebody younger for John D. And then that won't be as noticeable. <laughs> True. Or throw some line in it like, well, I had exposure to the Dreamstone longer, so I age slower than you, son, or something. something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But whatever, it's like... It's tiny. It's not, yeah. yeah, and it's one of the, again, there's a lot of magic thrown around there, so whenever you're dealing with a story about magic and dreams and shit, it's pretty easy to just be like, eh, it's fucking, it's just magic, dude. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It didn't, it doesn't take you out of a show. Yeah. But it did raise my eyebrow a couple of times while I was trying to work out the, uh, the, like, aging of the characters. But again, it's just kind of hand-waved. Uh, what did you think of um, the attempts to kind of recreate uh, Sam Keith and Mike Dridgenberg? I had to write his last name down because I was going to mispronounce it. To create their aesthetic. Because there's that one scene when Dream gets free that it looks like it, yeah. it ripped exactly from the comic. Yeah, and there's I mean, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of kind of forging their own way with aesthetics. Like, did you notice Dream's castle did not look like a raging hard-on? 
<laughs> I did notice that. It looked like a castle, not a veiny, throbbing shaft and glistening head. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that decision came from. I still like to think that Gaiman was, like, fighting hard against it. Like, no, it's got to be a fucking dick. And they're like, dude, dude. No, Neil, no. Look, we made the fucking castle from, like, Aladdin. How does that look? No! We're dicking it! Where's the penis? And then, they, and then they, like, mocked up, like, a fake, like, CGI dick castle. And he's like, yes, perfect. And then as soon as he turns around, they, like, delete it and put the other one in. <laughs> well, sometimes creators need saving from themselves. <laughs> and I, I've, like, who, who the fuck knows who made the decision to make it a throbbing, veiny dick? I just always like to blame Gaiman for it, because I think that's funny. But uh, it, could, it could just as easily be the artists or whoever. Um... Or a combination of the two. <laughs> they were drunk. They were on deadline. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, yeah, I, that did stick out to me. Like, ooh, that looks different. <laughs> but I, I really liked that, like, that introduction to the dreaming in the first episode when the, the guy from the library falls asleep in the carriage. Mm-hmm. And you see him in the dreaming and it kind of pans around so you can see all the craziness going on. And there's a quick cameo of Martin Tenbones there before he shows up later. Voiced by Lenny Henry, by the way, who has a long history with Gaiman. He uh, did the audio recording for Anansi Boys. And then I think he also voiced the character in the BBC audio drama of it. Which reminds me, so speaking of the audio drama, just oscillating wildly here. Do you know if there's one actor, at least one actor that I could find, who played a role in both the audio drama and the TV show? Trying to think which one. His name is Carrie Shale. Oh, okay. Who was he? In the show, he played Nimrod, oh. the, uh, the serial killer. Yeah. In the audio drama, he plays Abel. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like, those are pretty, pretty meaty roles for both. Yeah, absolutely. And that guy's been in, like, a million things. He's apparently done a shitload of voice work over the years. And he's been in a lot of shows and movies. And I couldn't figure out why I recognized him. And I had to go on IMDb and look at his... What the fuck Resume? is... Sure. That's not the word I was thinking of. <laughs> God damn it. It credits. Christ. It's credits. I had to look... When I'm to be look at his credits and realize I recognized him from uh, Universal Soldier Regeneration. But he, he plays the, uh, like, the, the scientist that, like, makes the soldiers or whatever. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, it's that guy! Little weasel fucker in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the little weasel fucker. <laughs> but he's, he's really good in this. And I, I feel like... Uh, I feel like all of the cast were really good. From, yeah. yeah. I didn't really have any problems with the cast. Like, I, I couldn't feel anyone. I was like, eh, come on. <laughs> Try harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, admittedly, and I, I, it pains me to say this because I love Patton Oswalt. Um, we both do. Fantastic guy. Fantastic comedian. I had to adjust to him as Matthew, yeah. because for a little bit at first, I was like, I don't hear Matthew, I just hear <laughs> Patton Oswalt. You're um, Remy the Rat? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was stand on Tom Surge's head yeah. and pull his hair and make him do things. As the series went along, though, I got more used to it, but at first I was like, man, I was just too aware yeah. that it was him. I liked him as Matthew. My only complaint about him in that role, and this isn't him, this is just the role, uh, when Dream Goes to Hell. The pep talk? Well, kind of. I didn't like that Matthew went with him. Mm-hmm. And they give a reason for it in the episode. He's like, oh, if I die, you gotta go tell Lucian, whatever. 
I'm like, I mean, Lucian knows you're going to hell. I mean, you don't come back. I think we all know what happened. Um, but I, he's only there so that Dream can have someone to talk to. Right. In that comic, that role is filled by other characters. Like Etrigan, some of the stuff that he says, he says to Etrigan. Um, same with, what's the fucking demon's name? Scuttlebloat or whatever. Yeah. The guy that, that leads him through there. That character is also kind of meshed with Etrigan in the show. But uh, there's a bit where they're walking through the forest, and he says something about, like, oh, we're going to see the Morning Star. And Matthew's like, the what? And he's like, Lucifer Morning Star used to be an angel. And then Matthew's like, that's right. I always forget that the devil used to be an angel. I'm like, ah, oh, this is just exposition. Like, this is just trying to get the idiots in the audience up to speed on who they're going to see. And, like, I, you didn't need that. <laughs> right, right. And then, yeah, the pep talk where... Matthew's the one that gives Dream the idea that hope and dreaming is the thing. And like, eh, yeah, it seemed a bit... That was a little bit too ominous. Yeah, and that actually, that scene is probably, the whole hell scene is probably the one that kind of rubbed me the the wrongest, (laughs) (laughs) the wrong way, whatever, uh, in the series. Because there's just like little things that add up where, like, when they first introduced Corinzon, I'm like, I don't like the way he looks he didn't have the two mouths he just looks like a guy painted yellow with uh spiky pink purple hair or whatever he didn't look very demony yeah and and like there's that scene where mazikeen picks him up and you can see like the crowd of demons in the background and when she lifts him when it cuts to that uh, shot of the crowd you can see his boots as they're like being lifted up and they like it's just normal human clothes (laughs) and like i mean come on dude he's a demon give him like cloven hooves or like, weird claw feet or something. Like, oh, it's just my Doc Martens. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, Corinzon really threw me, because I'm like, this isn't as, like, big epic fantasy. This is just a guy in grease paint. <laughs> right. He didn't really feel like a, quote, demon. And uh, and then it bugged me that Corinzon isn't the one who did the, the fight. It was Lucifer. That, like, I was first like, oh, come on. But then I'm like, well... If you look at that issue, Lucifer doesn't do anything. Right. <laughs> Lucifer, Lucifer stands in the background and makes a couple of vague threats. Mm-hmm. So at least in this, that character is more ominous and more proactive, which if you're going to set Lucifer up as a bigger character later, I think that makes more sense. It does, yeah. And especially when you get Gwendolyn Christie in the role, like, she's a really good actor, so give her some more to chew on. Than that fucking guy that played Corin's on. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think that change was probably for the best. Uh, what did you think of her? I thought she was fine. Uh, kind of like I said with uh, Tilda Swinton in Constantine, I feel like their intention was to go androgynous, but it just looks like Gwendolyn Christie to me. It just looks like a woman, <laughs> and that's that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But when I when I feel like that's what they're going for, and then they don't quite hit it. It's more noticeable. Yeah. But that said, I mean, who gives a shit? Lucifer's not technically a guy in the comics. No. He's a, a fucking unknowable entity. <laughs> it's like it's like Ga- Gaiman said, like, just by casting a male, you're misgendering this character because it's genderless in the comic. <laughs> yeah. It can look like anything. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I thought that was fine. Oh, and I know this is a, but a small aside. I, I love to see Mazikeen's makeup. It was like, there yeah. you are. You're ugly cool. and you're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I forgot that magazine, magazine. <laughs> I forgot that Mazakine was even going to be in it. 
just because there's been all this talk of Tom Ellis and Lucifer and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the fact that there are more characters from Sandman in that show <laughs> completely like went over my head. So when they showed Mazikeen and like addressed her as such, I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> Mazikeen. <laughs> It's not, not Leslie Ann Brandt as Maze. <laughs> In fake leather, yeah. yeah. So that was nice to see. Yeah. That was heartwarming. That episode on the whole was, was good. Well, it was good. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, like we were, we were talking about, a few moments, especially the pep talk, kind of took me out of it for yeah. a little bit. And I keep wanting to call him Churro, the demon. Karanzan. Thank you, yes. Uh, yeah, the makeup on that wasn't very good, but I did appreciate the back and forth between Dream and Lucifer, and I did like the, um, oh, the, what is it called in the comic? The Forest of Dead Bodies. Oh, the, the trees? Yeah. The Forest of Suicides or something yes. like that? Yeah. They, they don't say what it is, though, in, in the show. No. They, they walk through it and they comment on it, but they don't say that. I don't know if there's a reason for that or not, but uh, I just noticed that. It's like, hey, they didn't, they didn't name it. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a... I chuckled a little bit, though, when Matthew was like, well, I'm going to fly up and see yeah. what's going on. And I was like, fuck oh, that. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> like, nope, nope, nope. But. And uh, they even threw in Nada, character that's imprisoned in hell, which is will be interesting to see that play out. Fingers crossed, assuming they get a season two. Mm. No season two has been announced, even though it's doing great. But it's Netflix and they're idiots, so. Don't pull a Mindhunter <laughs> on us, come on. <laughs> well, Mindhunter wasn't Netflix. That was, uh, that was what's his name, uh, David Fincher, not wanting to continue it. Why, David? He said he's too busy. And that each season of that show takes like two or three years to make. And he's like, fuck it, I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> and Net, he said that Netflix actually told him, like, anytime you want to come back, let us know. <laughs> Rip my heart. Anyway. So wait, the Hell episode, that was after that the was, Constantine episode? It, yeah. it was. That was episode four, right? Yeah. Maybe. So yeah. we got we got to go back to that then. Because episode three... Yep. Is when he meets Constantine. That's the direct adaptation of, of uh, Dream a Little Dream of Me. So it immediately opens with the Casanova Club sign. And I was like, hey, that's from Hellblazer. And then Joanna Constantine jumps out of her car, runs inside. and I'm like, hey, there's a poster for mucous membrane on the wall. That's cool. <laughs> And then she turns around. She's like, "Astro." I was like, "Hey, there's Astro." That's like, "Oh my god, this is the fu- this is Newcastle. This is the Newcastle story." <laughs> and uh, the fact that that is sprinkled in through the episode, like that's a that's the most direct adaptation of Newcastle I've seen on the screen so far. Really? Um, the fact that Astro loses her arm and everything um, that was very cool to see. There's quite a bit of Hellblazer shit in that episode. Again, Casanova Club, Mucus Membrane, Newcastle, Astra, the priest, preacher, whoever that Constantine goes to see is Rick the Vic, which is, uh, that's a character from, uh, what the fuck is his name? Garth Ennis' run on the book. Agaleth, I think, was the demon that Constantine uh, exercises. That, in the comics, that's the brother of Nergal, who was, like, the main villain of Hellblazer for the first 20 issues or so. Um, and Agaliath comes in later in the series in really a really small role. But, again, I mean, that's that, they could have used any name, and they used a name from a character from the comics, so that's cool. Uh, oh, and they mentioned Chaz and Renee. Oh, yeah. uh, fun little shout-out to them. And then uh, when Rachel is running through the names of all of Constantine's lovers, she mentions Oliver which is a, a character from 
believe Oliver was in Ennis's run, but they weren't like romantically linked. And then he comes back in the new 52 and it's like John's boyfriend for a few issues. And then Sarah also, she mentioned Sarah. That's, I can't remember who that is exactly, but that was a girlfriend of the comics also. And then fucking Kit Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe that. Oh my God. You were particularly excited about that. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, yeah, this is just like a Hellblazer smorgasbord for, <laughs> smorgasbord for uh, like nerdy fans like me. And I loved that. And I had also mentioned initially that, because you know, remember like the question of who the fuck is Constantine in the future? Is it is it like a time traveler? Is she like long lived like Mad Hetty? Or is this just a gender swapped Constantine? And when we saw that, trailer when it shows jenna coleman just like wearing the trench coat i was like oh god damn it it is just a gender swap constant it doesn't feel right to me like just make it make her different make her different than john because she is her own character in the comic so why not bring some more of that into it and that like for some reason really bugged me and then when i started watching the episode i'm like no fuck it this is great i don't care (laughs) (laughs) you were in the only thing i don't like about that is I just watched this little video of Gaiman breaking down the trailer, like talking through it, and he talks about Joanna Constantine. And his the reason that he uses for replacing her with John, like, is dumb. Because <laughs> I mean it's it's a legal issue. They can't yeah. use John because his rights are tied up with HBO Max and fucking Legends of Tomorrow and other things that he's in, and so they, they can't use him. That's clearly why. But he was like yeah, when we cast Jenna as Joanna, we thought about how Constantine, the John, is her descendant. And uh, he goes, we thought that people would be confused by that. So we were just like, we'll just have her play both roles. And then there's, like, that's way more confusing <laughs> to have two characters in two different timelines with the same name played by the same person. Like, that's more confusing than, hey, this guy's your descendant. The end. <laughs> there you go. There you Plus, go. Dream says that like three times in the show. Of like, oh, I, I knew her ancestor. And then when she meets, uh, when he meets Constantine, he's like, oh, yeah, I, I worked with your uh, ancestor. We knew each other. It's so, like, it wouldn't matter who that is. It could have been a guy. It could have been whoever. It would have been fine. Um, so whatever. I, I, I like her in the show. I just think that reasoning was... <laughs> and I don't think that's true. I think that was just him being like, oh, it's whatever. I, I don't want to get into the legal issues of it. So, yeah, it just makes more sense if it's the same person. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Only have to pay one actor. Yeah. Yeah. Th- maybe, maybe that could be an example of a little... I mean, and again, this is a small nitpick. This is a small nitpick. Maybe a little bit more on the nose for people who they think aren't paying attention? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Just uh, viewing... You know, I don't want to be too general, but watching stuff, watching TV, watching a movie, whatever, is just a generally dumber experience than reading. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. that, I, that's not necessarily a judgment statement, but when you're reading, you're, you're forcing yourself to, you know, know a language, <laughs> to decipher that language on a printed page. And then your brain has to do all these fucking calculations when it sees these little squiggles. And then it turns those into sounds in your head. (laughs) Um, So you're just naturally working harder when you're reading a word than when you're watching a show or a movie. So naturally, people who watch things 
just like on the bell curve are going to be dumber <laughs> than people who are reading. I mean, it, that's the way it is. And again, I'm speaking as somebody who loves watching movies and TV shows and shit. Not a judgment thing. That's just the way it is. <laughs> and so I feel like probably if you're adapting something, especially if it's something that you've written 30 years ago, if there's any inkling that somebody might not be getting it, they're probably going to overcorrect in explaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like Lucifer and, oh, the Lightbringer? Really? I didn't know that was who that is. <laughs> the devil is actually an angel, huh? There hasn't been a TV show beloved by like idiots for the last 10 years about Lucifer. He used to be an angel and then he was in hell and now he's Tom Ellis. <laughs> Good trade for him. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm, I meant to ask you, in the comic book... Uh, version of this episode correct me if i'm wrong he and rachel break up um and she's already a heroin addict right i think so uh if i recall because they don't have that like reunion like they do in this right when rachel's talking and i it's just a dream manifestation of her or whatever she's like oh i loved you blah blah, blah. in the comic uh if i recall like it wasn't wasn't necessarily like a long-running or healthy relationship. She was just some junkie that he... Checked up with. Yeah, exactly. And while I'm just like, it was implied that she cared about him more than he cared about her. Right. But And that's kind of where his guilt came from to try to help her in the end. I just thought it was interesting because in that, like you said, their relationship was already toxic. And I thought that she was already addicted to heroin by when they were together. But the show makes it much more, like, black and white, like, this, no, this is your fault. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But she's this way. Yeah. And that's and that could have been implied in the comic as well. I mean, obviously, it's John's fault that she got the sand, and she got addicted to that, you know, then. So, pretty so yeah. And the fact that they call out Constantine for being so destructive for everyone around her is very in keeping with the comic. Um, there was a line that she had, too, that I really liked when she's talking to Dream, oh, she says, uh, we're all just Roderick Burgess to you. Like when he, like, refuses to help right. uh, Rachel. And I was like, God damn, that's a, that, like, cuts to the core of that character development and the fact that he, after being in prison for 100 years, he fucking hates people, and he's just using them to get his shit back. And then he, that's, that's the beginning of that, like, slow softening of his edges. And uh, I just I thought it was a really really good line that that uh, was added. Handled that well. Yeah, yeah. I think the Constantine episode may be my favorite. I was a big fan of that. What's a close second? I don't know. There's a lot of good ones. <laughs> there was twenty four seven. Yeah. 20, so do you know why they changed the title? No. Because the comic is the issue is called twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode is called twenty four seven. And that is because, and I brought this up when we reviewed the series all those years ago, it bugged me that the conclusion of that story is in the next issue. Mm, that issue yeah. ends with Dream showing up. Right. And I, I said that I felt like that the next issue was too long. Mm-hmm. It should have just been a quick resolution. So 24 hours is issue six. The conclusion of that story is issue seven. So this episode combined 24 hours with issue seven. 
24-7. Clever. Gaiman said that on Twitter. (laughs) I'm following you now. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the fact that I really like, because I remember getting to, like, the, I don't know, half an hour point in that episode, and, like, there's still, like, 15 minutes left, and everyone's dying. Like, how are they going to keep this? Oh, oh, shit, that's what they're going to (laughs) do. I said they should have done that years ago. (laughs) Asking each other, see? Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, I liked that episode, uh, but I don't think anything is going to have the visceral impact of just reading that issue. Agreed. Because for as horrific and intense as that episode was, it was still softened and sanded down a little bit for television. Right. There's a few things that they just probably couldn't show in any medium. <laughs> Even when that that uh, short film, Twenty uh, Four Hour Diner, yeah. that was a more more literal adaptation of that comic, and even that was a little watered down, less so than this. In fact, I mean hardly at all. But still, <laughs> there's something about the grotesqueness on the page that makes that issue so much scarier than like probably any live action take could be. I agree. The um... I guess you, well, is claustrophobic the right? Sure, I'll go with it. There's something about the art in that mm-hmm. particular issue that makes you feel like you're in this very tight space of which you cannot escape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so th- that translated fairly well, but not as well. Yeah, I thought it was a good episode, and I thought it was well done. But it's just one of those things that you're never going to replicate the original. And that could just be the fact that I read that years ago. And it stuck with me so profoundly, like everything in this goddamn comic book. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I just, nothing's going to hit like the first time, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's one of the few times where I would have preferred to watch this episode and then read the comic. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the, I feel like there would have been an escalation. <laughs> <of that. laughs> Not as big as expectations, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I think it was in that episode. No, I think it was the episode before. I, I think I texted you because I noticed this, that I was watching the end credits. You know, Netflix always wants you to fucking skip the credits. And so I'm like, no! <laughs> I was watching the end credits and be like, wow, these look like, these look like Dave McKeon art. Like, they really replicated that well. That's interesting. I wonder who did the animation for these end credits. So I was like pausing to look at all of the names because they go by so fucking quick. They pause and they wait for the next scene and pause. And then I was like, oh, end titles by Dave McKeon. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, that's fucking amazing. Like, get the cover artist of Sandman to come in and do the the credits. Like, that was awesome. It was. It was beautiful to see. And, again, usually you don't sit through the credits. You're, like, on to the next episode. But this one was like, no, I want to see the beauty. Also, evidently, I didn't realize this, but evidently uh, Dave McKeon's retired. Yeah, I heard that. I, I didn't know that. And the game man specifically asked him to come back for this. And he was like, yeah, I guess I have to. <laughs> <laughs> for you, brother. <laughs> I, I just assumed, because, like, you know, he made a movie a few years ago, and he's done stuff here and there. I just kind of assumed he was still out there doing his thing. But he's he's retired from at least that art. Yeah, um, when we were texting back and forth, um, I thought that he was retired, too, and I... I Heard that, well, you know, like you said, it's not like they had to twist his arm, but yeah. that, yeah, Gaiman had to contact him and be like, hey, want to get back in the game? And lucky for us, he did. Yeah. Let's just go into Doll's house now. We're starting to run low on time. <laughs> <laughs> These were pretty, pretty literal adaptations as well. I actually really liked the changes they made to Jed's 
dreams and yes, stuff. Yes. I thought it was cool to make him the protagonist of the dreams because the comics that was back when Sandman was still a part of like DC Universe proper. So the comics were trying to reconcile this history of the Sandman character with the story that Gaiman wanted to tell. So that's why they threw in Hector Hall and Lyda Hall and Brute and Glob and the Dream Sphere and all that. Like that, they had to like wedge that into the story. And by with this version, that's kind of all still there. It just is way more streamlined and is more uh, clear and concise. I guess I love seeing Jed wearing the goddamn Jack Kirby Sandman costume. <laughs> that was so fucking cool. Um, and they show the Dream Sphere. With, like, supervillains in it, like uh, uh, Psycho Pirate and Pied Piper and Captain Cold are all shown. <laughs> like, oh, yes! <laughs> that was very well done. And did you notice the, uh, the dream, the nightmare that's in there with him? So in the comics, that was Brute and Glob. That's right. Two different characters. And they were merged into one. And the name was Galt. Which is like literally a combination of brute and glob. <laughs> like as soon as they said the name, I was like, "Oh, so there's no brute and glob." And then I was like doing the math in my head and like, brute, glob, glob. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> it makes sense. And I'm wondering if they did that just for streamlining purposes of like instead of two nightmares, just the one, or if there's like a legal reason, like like they couldn't use Jack Kirby creation or I don't know. Who knows. Um, I just thought that was interesting that uh, they still still pretty accurately adapted that aspect of the story, which I assume they were just going to throw out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because in the comic book it is much more, um, well, yeah, it's Hector's thing. It's, yeah. you, and I don't think they had enough time to expand on that story. Well, I just think it wouldn't make sense. Because, again, you don't, you're not tied to that 1970s Sandman comic book in this show. So... If anything, it would have been more confusing to try to make that story fit into here. In the comic, they're all it's all about retconning and making it all fit into one cohesive universe. But since we don't have we didn't have a Sandman show in the 70s <laughs> that this show is trying to tie into, so we don't need that. And I just thought that was really elegantly done. And Hector's still in there. I know I, I liked the way that storyline played out too, because instead of him being a superhero, he's just a dead guy. And when this, the dream vortex makes everything fuck up. It makes people from the realm of the dead bleed into the realm of the dreaming so that then when Lyda gets with Hector in her dreams, it's like she's, you know, she's fucking her actual husband. Right. And gets pregnant as, as a result. And <laughs> in the comics, she'd been pregnant for like years because of them being stuck in the dream sphere. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then when she came to the real world, she had the baby. But uh, yeah, I thought that was, again, just very elegantly streamlined and, and done. And clearly a lot of thought went into that. Because <laughs> everything else in Doll's House moves basically the exact same as the comic. And just that one section that in the comic is so like impenetrable, they managed to make it clear, concise, and smooth for new viewers. They did. They did. And this being the, sh- the what was it, the comic book that was unadaptable? Yeah, exactly. They, there's a lot to work with, and I think for the most part they they cut out the fat. There, there yeah. wasn't it skipped along really, really well. <laughs> so one thing, did you notice Galt at the end when Dream brings Galt back and lets her be a, a proper Dream instead of a nightmare or whatever? Did am I the only one that thought she looked a lot like Black Orchid? 
when she, she grows did. her purple butterfly wings and she flies did. off? Yes, she did. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. No, that's... I wonder. <laughs> I actually want to look that up now. Let's see. Galt. I'm going to get a lot of fucking access. Atlas Shrugged bullshit <laughs> by typing Galt. <laughs> careful, careful. Galt, Sandman, Black, Orchid. I wonder if that was on purpose. I thought hers was one of the better effects in terms of... Yeah, that, she looked a bit like um, a character of Eternity in Marvel. Just that, like, star field. Mm -hmm. Kind of uh, superimposed on her body. I, yeah, I thought that looked really good. Hey, look, there's a little, little Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> that that child actor was really good, too. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Jed was awesome. I'm not going to get anything here, am I? Pretty sure I'm the only one who noticed that. <laughs> I think you are. But I, I feel like it's a it's a sound theory. I also love Corinthian his little straw hat. It's such a <laughs> fucking cool look. His little boater. I think he is probably my my, like, breakout star with this. Like, yeah. Corinthian is the one I probably loved the most. Shortly after watching the show, I reread Sandman Presents the Corinthian, Death in Venice. Mm -hmm. um, it's just all about Corinthian meeting one of Constantine's ancestors in Venice in, like, 1920-something. And uh, I can't read that character and not hear Boyd Holbrook's voice in my head now. <laughs> I don't blame you, yeah. <laughs> For the longest time, anytime I would think of him, I would think of uh, the movie Logan. He plays the bad guy in that, uh, Pierce. And there's a scene where he's confronting Wolverine about Laura, the little girl. And he goes, ah, well, the girl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now I just hear Corinthian dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was really good. Uh, he has this, like, I guess, curdled Americana yeah. about him, but yeah. he was great throughout the entire show. And I really, they really gave him more of an arc. Like, you yeah. could kind of understand why, even though he's a serial killer, you could kind of understand why he wanted to you know, yeah. keep doing what he was doing. One of the things that was kind of lost on me in the comic book that I think snapped into greater focus in the show is the idea of him being an inspiration for a whole, like, generation of serial killers. And the fact that through, like, this nightmare living on Earth unabated for 100 years created this whole psychopathic mindset in a whole generation of people or whatever. I thought that was, that was really interesting that I hadn't... I, that's in the comic. I just hadn't really connected that in my mind until seeing it in the show. Because apparently I'm an idiot, too. And I, <laughs> these, I can't read. I need to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I, just, I thought that was that was really cool and well done. And like so many things in this show, I, I really liked it. Oh, speaking of Dream's House, Dream's Doll's House. Speaking of speaking of Doll's House, <laughs> did you notice Mike Dringenberg's quote cameo in the show? Where was he? No. Uh, so when the serial killers are getting together at the diner, talking about Corinthian. And they, they mentioned Family Man, just like they did in the... It's like, fuck you, another Hellblazer reference! <laughs> Family Man, goddammit! Give it to me, yes! <laughs> um, when they're talking about, oh, Family Man can't make it, well, maybe we get the Corinthian, ooh, we gotta... Let's cut out some eyes and get his attention or whatever. Uh, that diner that they're eating at is called Mike's Drinks and Burgers. <laughs> nice. 
face. Mike Jenkinberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> you can see that sign. And I like the way it's shot. You can see that sign many times. And I remember looking at it and being like, what the fuck? That's such a weird name. <laughs> like, <laughs> drinks and burger. Like, okay. And I was like, like rolling it over in my mind. And then I was Googling something about Sandman. Like, maybe I was Googling Drinkenberg to find a picture. I can't remember what it was. And, uh, I just, I like seeing his name on my computer screen. I was like, oh, fuck, that's what it was. Like, <laughs> it snapped into focus for me like 10 minutes after watching that episode. I, I thought that was funny. Good catch. Uh, let's see, Black Orchid, I already talked about that. Oh, I have a question for you. Yeah. What did you think of the combination of the sound of her wings with the hob gadget? Oh, yeah, I liked that. Both of those, I mean, those are inherently connected stories. And that's something that I hadn't thought of before, the way that they are connected, that through line, like they're opposite, opposite points of view. It's like those two episodes are arguing with each other. There's Death talking about how beautiful and natural the end of life is. and just We talked about this when we reviewed the series, about like that story isn't saying anything moral or... It's not, it's not trying to portray death as like a good or a bad experience. It's just a part of human life. Mm-hmm. And that like that's the the end. It's just nature. You're going to die. And this is uh, a character who has is the personification of that um, and just showing people of like, "Hey, you know, you you live, you breathe, you eat, you sleep, you die." The the, the normalization of that was a very interesting. And then and I'd never really considered this, then there's Hob, who's the opposite of that. It's like, fuck death, meh! <laughs> that's, that's for mugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'd never thought of those two points of view being conflicting and really, like, arguing with each other. I thought that was a really interesting way, uh, like a split screen of, like, on one side, death, and the other side, Hob, and, like, showing the two ideas of, of death. And I thought, I thought it was really cool. And especially, I fucking love Hob. I've always said how much I love Hob, and I loved seeing that story so literally put on the screen. The only change that they made was one of uh, necessity, <laughs> where Hob and Dream meet every year, or, sorry, every century in 89, 1389, 1489. In the comic books, that lined up with the first volume of Sandman because he breaks out of Roderick Burgess' home in 1989. So he's able to show up. Like, you know, if, if we do meet in 100 years, it'll mean we're friends. And then at the end, he's all sad. And the dream comes in. Hey, I made it. We're friends. I just broke out of fucking prison. We can be friends. But in this, again, you have to have that or that 89 time frame because of when he meets Shakespeare and other historical events that happen around that time. So you can't change that. But in this continuity, in 1989, he's still locked up. Right. So they had to change that scene where Hobbes like depressed and Dream doesn't show. And then Dream shows up, you know, in 2022 or 21 or whatever. And, hey, sorry I was late. <laughs> Which is kind of like, that, that, that's kind of like a sweet epilogue to that because it shows that they're still friends and Dream uh, probably explained why he couldn't make it. But that also implies that Hobbes has been sitting there for like 30 years. <laughs> like, no, he's going to show one of these days. Or Dream just has really good timing and happened to be in there the one day he was getting his you know morning pint. <laughs> right, right, right. He kept coming back. Yeah. But yeah, I fucking love those episodes. Uh, my friend Nick, who's never read Sandman, just watched that episode and he texted me. He was like, that was one of the fucking greatest things I've ever seen. Like, I gotta read this comic now. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> like that, that was the episode that got him. And uh, he's like, where do I start? I'm like, start from number one and don't stop until you've finished. Like, like, that's, <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's not, this isn't a, this isn't a stop and start comic. Just start at the beginning and keep going until you don't see any other Sandman comics to read. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Good luck, Nick. Have yeah. fun. But no, I, I, I heard some criticism about that episode because they thought that adding the hobgaddling part kind of brought it down. I disagree because it juxtaposes beautifully with, you know, the sound of her wings mm-hmm. where Dream is uh, basically on a, on a work field trip with his sister yeah. where she's like, you know, you, you have to relate. You know, we live to serve these people, not the other way around. You have to find a way to you know, connect with what you're doing. Yeah. Like, that's your purpose. That fits in perfectly with, uh, you know, Hobgadling being like, I think you show up to this because you're lonely. Yeah. And Dream's like, how dare you? Fuck you. Presume to tell me I'm lonely. <laughs> exactly. You're human. <laughs> and then, you know, he comes back and like, yeah, we are friends. Yeah. It worked out perfectly. I saw a hilarious Twitter kerfuffle <laughs> with uh, <laughs> James S.A. Corey, I think is this pen name. The guys that wrote the Expanse series of novels. There are two guys, but they share a pen name. And they posted about Sandman, and they said, <laughs> like, uh, watching Netflix of Sandman, uh, my only complaint with Sandman's death, that's what they said, my only complaint with Sandman's death, because, you know, death on the Sandman, is that you don't hear her wings when she shows up. And then he commented immediately underneath that, oh, never mind, sorry, it's there, I missed it. Because yeah. <laughs> it's there. And so he posted that. And then that initial post was immediately followed up with, thanks for the fucking spoiler! Because everyone thought, the Sandman's death. The, the death of the Sandman. <laughs> calm, calm down, exactly. internet. <laughs> and so like, I saw like, 10 comments like fuck you you fucking spoiled it you're not even able to spoil it he's like guys like you gotta fucking chill that's not a spoiler you fucking idiot like <laughs> take five seconds to to look into the cast and you'll know what i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'm not i'm not strong enough for twitter yeah. i'd much rather argue with boomers on facebook yeah. i just i can't <laughs> i'm not one to argue with either but it is fun to watch idiots Make an ass of themselves every once in a while, <laughs> especially to famous people like that. You're like, D- don't you're dumb. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I thought that was a great episode. Combining of the two was a really good idea because I think the Hobbs story was like later in a doll's house, wasn't it? Yeah. In the comic. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. There's I don't have a whole lot to say about a doll's house, like story wise, because it's so in line with the comic, like the main. Story beats are basically the same. So watch the show and read the comic. There's even the whole thing with Barbie and the Porpentine and <laughs> Cloud Cuckoo Land and Martin Tenbones and like that. Well, that's going to come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, I had a couple of just random notes here. Uh, Buffalo, New York is Gotham now. <laughs> they, uh, what's his name? John D's little cell was in Buffalo, New York. They kept saying that hmm. instead of Gotham. And they don't say where he's staying, so it's not... True, no one says Arkham. could be Arkham still. I mean, probably it's not, but... (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that Arkham uh, Arkham Asylum just relocated to Buffalo, New York. (laughs) Also, in that scene when John D. gets out and the Corinthian greets him, in the background, there's a uh, telephone booth with mucous membrane spray-painted on it. And I'm like, 
wait, so this little punk band from Newcastle somehow got famous enough to have their names remained in New York? <laughs> Very underground. Only yeah. the cool kids. And, like, that. I realize it's just because the art department's like, yeah, it'll be a fun little Easter egg. But I'm like, logistically, <laughs> come on, guys. This ain't the Beatles. <laughs> Probably not. It's not even the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols wannabes. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Oh, a uh, little cameo at the end. So the end has a little teaser that's not in the comics with Lucifer being like, ooh, I'll fucking show you. Ooh, I'll show you. Yes. And I saw this fucking hilarious breakdown video. Somebody's like, oh, this means Lucifer is going to gather the armies of hell and they're going to raid the Dreaming. And it's going to be this huge battle. I'm like, you fucking idiot. You goddamn rube. You have no idea what's coming. You, you think you're so fucking smart. Because you've been raised on Lord of the Rings or whatever big ap- action fantasy epics. Like, ha, ha, no, he's just going to close the doors. <laughs> that made me really excited. Yeah. When, she, yeah, when she was all, I'm going to do something that will make God absolutely yeah. livid. I was like, fuck yes! <laughs> but uh, Azazel in that scene looks exactly like he looks in Hellblazer and Sandman. That like weird void of chattery teeth. Yeah. Um, he's voiced by uh, Roger Allen who uh, we have seen in a V for Vendetta. He played Louis Prothero, the voice of England. Oh, okay. Um, Thought he sounded familiar. Yeah, he's been on a ton of shit, too. He's on Game of Thrones and all sorts of stuff. But uh, uh, that was a fun cameo. I hope we hear more of him in the future, because he's a good voice. <laughs> he is. Fantastic demon voice. Yeah, I was very excited for that. I'm patiently waiting for an announcement on season two. Fingers Crossed. Oh, fingers Ever crossed. Yes. All of the appendages crossed. Um, the only other note that I have is just surrounding the discourse about Sandman. I see this a lot on Twitter and Facebook and just anywhere people are talking about this. People will say, oh yeah, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And then there's always some fucking smartass who's like, you know, not just Gaiman made it. It's also credited to Dringenberg and Sam Keith. And, and I'm like, well, you know what? Um... I am not writing an article, or I'm not doing credits for a TV show. I'm just some fucking guy talking about the show that I like. I'm not going to credit everyone. Like, why stop with them? Why not credit the letterers? Why not credit the editors and everyone at DC Comics who proofread it? And, like, like let's be reasonable here. Right. <laughs> this right. book only had one writer for the 75 issues that it ran. I only have 250 credit, or uh, I only have 240 uh, characters here, so... <laughs> Let's just agree that it's okay to just credit the writers when you're talking on fucking social media. Yeah, on Twitter. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, who, I, yeah, we get it. A lot of people made this. And every movie that you see has thousands of names in it, but we just talk about the director. Right, you know, right. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Well, you know, technically, the gaffer on that movie. Well, <laughs> yeah, I fucking know. <laughs> yes. And that, that's, that discourse has gotten bigger lately because of, like, issues with, like, comic book writers or artists not getting credits and royalties and all that. Like, again, that's a corporate issue. That's not our problem. Right. <laughs> and uh, somebody on Twitter not listening that there was an artist on a comic book doesn't change the fact that that artist worked on that comic book and then, you know, got his name in a fucking Hollywood credit. Like, it's, I don't know. That drives me nuts because that's not, like, this isn't an, like, I'm, I'm not looking through the AMA style guide while I'm fucking 
typing a tweet or trying to talk to friends. So, like, don't, don't hold me that standard, you fucking idiot. Well, yeah, and it's ridiculous in that if you think those people deserve credit, then mo- make your own post about, hey, here's yeah. these people that contributed to this project. I mean, like you said, don't fucking gatekeep names yeah, exactly. on Twitter. <laughs> I'm not going to add footnotes to my tweets so that you can look up everyone that was credited in. And again, like, people always do that. Like, well, why didn't you list artists, too? Like, well, also, why stop there? You know, the fucking letterer on Sandman did a lot of work. Right. Um, especially in Sandman, more than almost any other comic. <laughs> uh, work cut out for him. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that <laughs> book went through a ton of artists. There's editors, there's group editors, there's story editors, there's, uh, again, proofreaders, there's printers, there's digital touch-ups, like the people that that took the copies from the mailroom to the printing press and the, uh, the person that gives art back to the artists after they get checked in at DC Comics. <laughs> that was actually Dan Slott, the comic book writer. Oh, yeah. He wrote Spider-Man for ages. Uh wrote a really good Silver Surfer comic like 10 years ago, and uh, She-Hulk in the early 2000s. He used to work at Marvel as the dude that just returned the art to art. Like, you know, artists finish their art, turn it in, DC scans it, prints it, whatever, and then they just give it back to him. And he just said he just sat at a desk, piles of art, and artists would come in, and he'd check out the original art back to them. (laughs) So where's his fucking credit? (laughs) He worked hard. In Civil War. The Captain America Civil War. Where's Dan Slott's credit for handing the art back to Spider-Man artist in 1992? Right? Without him, there would be no Civil War. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. Anyway, I just, like, we are very hypersensitive about credits these days. Oh, we're hypersensitive about everything. That's true. But this, this credit thing is fairly new because of the rise of adaptations. I understand why we're hypersensitive about that. I understand why it's important for people to get credited for their work, but you don't have to apply that to Joe Schmo who's talking about something. Right. Like, could you imagine having a conversation like that? I'm like, have you read Gaiman Salmon? Oh, you mean Gaiman, Dringdenberg, Keith, and the other artists that worked on it? You mean that Sandman? That's the moment in the party where you're like, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. Or, yeah, you make some excuse to get away from it. George Orwell's 1984. Who's the editor on that book? Yeah, right. Well, it should be credited. <laughs> should you be should credited. know that when you talk about it. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's like, I know you guys are thinking you're doing a good thing, but it's it just makes you sound snobby. You're, you're, not, you're not helping anyone. You're just making yourself look worse. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's like on King of the Hill. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. There's a quote from an episode that I loved where Bobby gets involved with this, like, church youth group with this, like, cool pastor who plays guitar and is into Christian rock and Bobby starts listening to Christian rock and Hank is trying to like get him away from it. He's like, don't you understand? You're not making Christianity better. You're making rock worse. Yes. Yes. Very well said. Yeah. That sums it up nicely. I'm going to use that the next time I talk to somebody about Christian rock. Um, Oh, what did you think of Merv Pumpkinhead real quick? I looked cool. I mean, very brief. Um, I loved that they got Mark Hamill to play him. Looks like Merv, sounds like Merv, sounds good to me. <laughs> I hope, well, again, if there is a season two, hopefully, um, he shows up more. Uh, so Gay Man has said, in his mind, he wants to do the entirety of Sandman, probably five, six seasons, however long that wouldn't, however long he would need to cover the 75 issues of Sandman. He 
wants to do that. He wants to do Overture. And he said he really wants to basically do as many spin-off comics that they did as Netflix will allow. Wow. So he's like, Sandman Presents, you know, The Dreaming. Uh, he said he already has an idea for uh, like a Joanna Constantine spinoff too. Um, so he's like, you know, I've got, this is all ready to go. Like it's, it's already in a comic book form. So wow. if we could get that going, then great. But again, it's all up to Netflix and Warner Brothers now. That's another problem with this is uh, it's only partially owned by Netflix. The rest is owned by Warner Brothers. Who's going through, uh, you know, see beginning of episode. So, yeah, growing pains, to say it nicely. It's not growing pains. It's uh, (laughs) it's the opposite of that. Cutbacks. Stupid. Uh, Anyway, uh, so we'll see. Right now it's just a hope and a prayer that's keeping uh, season two going. But, hey, you know what the most important thing in hell is? Is hope and dreams. So, there you go. Amen to that. Hell is Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Neil Gaiman is the hope. (laughs) Hell is Warner Brothers. Netflix is Limbo. Yeah. (laughs) But, no. Hopefully. Anyway, yeah, I I really enjoyed this. Again, I walked into it being a little trepidatious. a A little concerned. And I walked out, probably by the end of the first episode, I was like, fuck yeah! (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's good. Um, I don't want to bring the mood down because I I do like it. I really, really do. I don't think... And I hope I'm wrong about this. Um, I don't know if it'll have the... much of a cultural impact beyond the uh, popularity of the books and the, the fan base. That's not to say that, you know, again, like your friend Nick won't watch it and be like, I want to read these books. Hopefully, of course, that is what happens. But I felt like on the whole, the series was made for us, which I am yeah. grateful for. And I don't know how many new people that's going to attract. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> the, thing about, the thing about the Sandman's cultural impact is that's already set in stone. The, the book has already had far more of a cultural impact for the last 30 years than most comics that came out at that time. Than more than almost any other Vertigo book that I could think of. Oh, for sure, for sure. More than almost any DC book. I mean, it's been in continual, in continuous print since then. This show is just an aspect of that. Mm-hmm. It will bring new fans in. How many? I don't know, <laughs> but it definitely will, and it will keep the brand alive for old fans. It'll create new conversations about. It'll cause old fans to notice things that they didn't like the fucking Corinthian thing that I talked about. So I, yeah, I see it as like, I don't, it doesn't matter if if this doesn't have the cultural impact of the comic because it's not gonna, it's a deviation of the comic. Oh, sure. So if anything, it'll be like, you know, worst case scenario, it'll be like the Watchmen movie where the Watchmen movie landed. It was, you know, like kind of popular, but not really like fans were "Eh, whatever. It didn't have a huge box office, um, but it led to a gigantic spike in people reading the comic. Like, Watchmen went into the top ten when the movie came out, the New York Times top ten. Worst case scenario, that'll happen with Sandman. But it's not. I mean, it's already a very popular Netflix show. Again, 90 countries, it's number one. And it's ascending uh, the ranks in others. That'll either, that, that will bring people to the comic book, 
how many? Who knows? Don't really care. <laughs> because, uh... No way to quantify Yeah, that. and any anything's better than nothing, you know? I mean, oh, no, don't get me wrong. It's like, I I don't mean to make it sound like, oh, this is some flaccid compromise, because this is, this is probably going to go on my top ten, you know, I... I know you're not a big list fan, but if I had to make a list, I would put this show on in my top ten for entertainment that I've seen this year. Yeah. And I absolutely would watch it again. Um, I've already watched it again. Well, not the whole thing. I'm like halfway through a rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just started my rewatch last night, actually, so I'm only three episodes in. But, you know, on the whole, don't get me wrong, it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that this exists yeah. and that we live in a lifetime in a place where this has happened. Oh, I didn't even bring up fucking Stephen Fry. Oh, Fiddler's Green, yes. Yeah. I really liked him. Yeah, well, he's fucking perfect. He was. And especially after learning that he's supposed to look like G.K. Chesterton, and then looking up G.K. Chesterton, and seeing him, I'm like, oh, that's that's what he is. <laughs> Spitting image. And when he meets uh, Rose Walker, he as they're leaving, he says something about, like, oh, I've been in my room reading Chesterton. <laughs> that's right. Which is a nice little, like, it's, like, because obviously he's a dream, and in the dreaming, he's just a... You know, a, a field basically. <laughs> so when he created his human guys, he was clearly very influenced by Chesterton, and it's like a, like a fanboy creating his uh, body based on on his uh, <laughs> idol. <laughs> I thought that was cool. It was really really cool, and uh, I would have liked to see more of an. I mean, again, hope maybe this will happen next season. Who knows? But I really did like the brief interaction we had between him and the Corinthian. Yeah, that's. I mean. That, in the comic books, that's it. Right, right. <laughs> Gilbert yeah. comes back briefly in the wake. And Kindly Ones? He gets killed in Kindly Ones, and then he's remade in the wake. And when Daniel remakes him, and then he's like, actually, I just want to die. Like, I'm done. I don't, yeah. he, people don't use me anymore. Like, just let me, I kind of liked not existing. <laughs> Daniel's like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we may see a little bit more of him, but I doubt it. And then I also really like Lucien, the... the New Lucian. Gaiman said that's the only character that they intentionally gender swapped. Just like, you know, let's make her a, a woman. It makes more sense. Um, everyone else, he said it was just a result, like, if that happened with anyone else, it was just a result of casting or, like, legal issues with Constantine or whatever. But that was the only character where they intentionally were like, we need to make Lucian a female. The only reason that he's not in the comics is because he was a pre-existing character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Cain and Abel, also really like them. They were great. They were like good. To see more of them. Like, again, I've been reading the Dreaming comic series, and that follows them pretty closely, the first couple arcs. So now I'm just hearing their voices. The only difference that I really noticed is that Abel in the show doesn't have his stutter. No, he doesn't. In the comic. Yeah. And kind of like Mazikeen, she doesn't have that. <laughs> whatever. Um, which I liked. Especially after reading, like, I probably read the first three issues of The Dreaming over the course of, like, half an hour. And Abel's, uh... Oh, this fell. Oh, uh, a- Abel's stuttering is really annoying to read. <laughs> oh, like the, but, 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 like, do fucking say Decipher what this word is. <laughs> we get it, um, we get it. And it's just like Gaiman said with Mazikeen. Like, that was intended as a one-off. And then the Lucifer spinoff comic came... So now every line that she has has to be, like, fucking translated. And, like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, drips out one side of her face. But I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't keep that in the show because fake stutters sound really fake usually. Usually. So, yeah. like, just let, it, yeah, just let him be a dude. Oh, I also saw, saw somebody on Twitter 
talking shit about the Sandman adaptation because how come the only fat character is depressed of uh, oh despair despair and Gaiman was like well I mean she's not really depressed like she is despair that's like saying the dream dreams right doesn't right. <laughs> and uh, and he's like plus like I don't know I we don't Gilbert's kind of portly <laughs> like there's other body shapes in this show and then uh, the guy that plays Abel popped in and was like, also, Abel's got a bit of a belly. <laughs> and, uh, and Gaiman said, and beautifully so. Aww, absolutely. <laughs> and then, of course, because this is the Twitter, or this is the internet and everything has to be terrible, then people started <laughs> popping off with like, well, I feel like Gilbert is like a jolly fat man trope. And I don't really like that. Like, shut the fuck up! <laughs> Please, guys. It's a... It's okay to enjoy stuff. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> okay, so, so fat people can't be sad and fat people can't be happy. Yeah, what can uh, fat people be? Exactly. <laughs> like, fuck you. Just like, ah. And if, if anything on this show, like, I really appreciated the diversity in colors and sizes and shapes and everything in the show. I think they did a really good job of that. Well, this was the dumbest comment I've heard made about the show. Um, and I just had to log off. I was like, I can't read the stupid. But this one guy was uh, talking about forced diversity. Mm. And he was like, yeah, they totally lost me. Like when he goes to hell and he sees his ex-girlfriend and she sees him as a black guy. I was like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forced uh, diversity from 1989 that you're just now discovering. Fucking idiot. Exactly. And so many people, well, I shouldn't say so many people on the whole, um, like you said, I think people are really enjoying this and that's, it feels good to see. Yeah. But people who are like, well, I've never read The Sandman, but, yeah. you know, this is like, well, then stop. Stop. <laughs> thinking, thinking about that, the, like, seeing Dream as a black guy, like, what if they'd left the Martian Manhunter scene in and it shows Dream as, like, a flaming head and right. I'm like what's with that forced diversity of people <laughs> on fire <laughs> it's promoting arson <laughs> yeah yeah it's like there oh. was there was initially like i i had this like weird gnawing feeling early on when it got to the john d when he's in the car with the woman yes. episode because yeah. they they she's black in the in the show and i was there was her uh, Unity Kincaid, and there was another character I can't think of right now. And I was thinking in my mind, like, I understand the, like, widening of the color palette of actors. I'm like, But I feel like this might be drifting to the trope of, like, just harming black women. <laughs> and I, so I was like, uh, but then they didn't kill her in the show. So I was like, okay, all right. Well, <laughs> never mind then. My because I, I my my expectation from reading the comics is like, oh, this chick's gonna die. <laughs> and then like that kind of flipping of like, okay, now now that trope is has been subverted. Like I'm not. Thank you. Exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. I I think I texted you about like uh, there's some optics that are kind of feeling weird right now. But yeah, luckily that was not played into, and I I liked that that they were. Uh, recognizing that in that when you when you change the race of a character sometimes things don't <laughs> quite fit like that that can sometimes change the optics for the worse and so you have to kind of adjust the story to fit that accordingly <laughs> yeah i i thought it made it better 
on the whole. Well, and just the fact too that, um, and I, of course, they changed his appearance in the in the show because, as much as I love the comic book, you look at John D in the oh, comic yeah. book and you're like, I would never pick that guy yeah, up, exactly. ever. <laughs> Weird little skeleton freak. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, big buggy eyes. I really, yeah, I really liked the rapport between Thulis. I can never pronounce his last name. Thulis. You mean rapport? What did I say? You said Rappaport. <laughs> the, the Michael Rappaport between. Can you imagine Michael Rappaport on this show? <laughs> hey, Dream, what the fuck? <laughs> Actually, he wouldn't have been a bad. Uh, he wouldn't have been a bad Matthew. <laughs> Missed opportunity. There you go. Um, Dreams don't fucking die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably the line that set. The most uncomfortable with me throughout that show. But again, just a nitpick. It's on the whole, fantastic. Watch it. Yeah, I would give it a vertigo. Absolutely. Yeah, very strong adaptation of Sandman. Something that for many years people had said was unadaptable. And after reading some of the script reviews and whatnot over the years, I, I get it. <laughs> I feel like some of the some of the the writer's takes completely missed the mark. And so it was nice to have Gaiman so involved with this. It was. The fact that he was a producer and was involved in the casting and writing and like steering the ship the whole way. Uh, I think that was a very wise choice because he has spent a long time in, you know, working on film productions over the last however many decades. So he knows what he's doing. Did you ever hear about his death adaptation that was shelved? I think he like the mid two thousands. He was actually going to direct it. Oh! And when Guillermo del Toro was working on Hellboy two, Gaiman spent a lot of time on set with him, like kind of learning the ins and outs of filmmaking from Guillermo del Toro. And that was a death movie. It was going to be an adaptation of uh, High Cost of Living. Oh, cool! And it was the the I don't know that anyone was official, but the. Male lead was going to be played by Shia LaBeouf, and Claire Danes was set for death. Hmm. Maybe not so cool on the Shia LaBeouf part, but yeah. that would have been interesting. Yeah, I don't know. This was years before he became the like walking punchline that he is now. But uh, uh, this is probably like around the time he was doing Constantine. So I don't know. Maybe even then. <laughs> <laughs> but so it just never came to fruition. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it like it was like almost ready to shoot. Plug got pulled. Maybe it was with writer's strike, maybe. Oh, oh. It was around that time, like yeah. 2007, maybe. Yeah, that would explain it. Um, one explanation. Yeah, more. I can't remember exactly, but that sounds right. But anyway, so this is there's been so many false starts, so many almosts, so many shitty scripts, so many good scripts, and I feel like this is the best we were ever going to get or will ever get. So fingers crossed for more of it. Absolutely, yeah. And what we got was pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, any parting thoughts, words? What are we going to talk about next time? In the next nine months. Is it, it going to be a next time? I don't know. I don't know. This is just the, the Sandman special. We'll come back when they release season two. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, come back when we think of something else to talk about. Oh, it's not so fucking hot. It's not so fucking hot. Yes, yes. Meet up again in October or something. <laughs> the weather's changed. I feel like a human being again. Not just turning into puddles. Yeah. But what about yourself? I don't know. I'm done. Every, everything was good. Everyone was good. I liked it. <laughs> Fun was had. Yeah. 
yeah, it was a good show. Um, please watch it. Continue streaming it after you've finished it. Just watch it again. Just put it on the background while you're masturbating or what. I don't know. Interesting <laughs> <laughs> <It's laughs> choice. <laughs> in my mind, is like, what's something that people do? Masturbate. <laughs> like, why did I? I don't. Let's not dwell on that. <laughs> And with that personally, I'm like telling myself, like, let's not think too much about that. Like, let's, let's not dwell on why you went there immediately. Some things are just best left mysteries to your own psyche. So come back next time. <laughs> yeah. let's see what else springs out of my my uh, just font of imagination. It's an unending wellspring. Yeah, apparently. All right, well, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Watch Sandman. Bye-bye.